Welcome to Do The Woo, episode 111. <laughs> How are you, Bob? I'm doing good. I like that. 111. You know, yes. Yeah. We're binary now, you know? <laughs> That's a lot, man. 111 episodes. Congratulations on that. Thank you. The show just keeps rolling along nicely. Yeah, yeah. We just keep it plugging along. All my, all my wonderful co-hosts keep me in line, so that's good. I love uh, all the event stuff that you've been doing as well. There's, there's a lot happening across the, across do the woo lately. And, uh, I, I don't see very many idle moments, uh, in your past and certainly not in your future. Yeah, that's for sure. I just, I'm doing some other stuff. In fact, there'll be a podcast coming out before this one that we'll be talking a little bit about everything I'm doing. So, um, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. So we'll leave it at that. That's fantastic. Well, before we get into today's show, we have some sponsors, you want to kick us off with our community sponsor? Yeah, um, PayPal. And they've been a longtime sponsor. In fact, I'm going to just give a special shout out to them because they've been a sponsor now for six months, our community sponsor. This will be actually their last episode as a sponsor. Um, we'll be bringing somebody in in a while as a community sponsor. But I want to you know, thank them big time for their support. It's been amazing. And they've kicked off a... PayPal e-commerce platform, they call it. And basically they pulled together everything they're doing. And amongst all the stuff that you can get through PayPal or your clients can get through PayPal, you can also get fraud protection and seller protection. So that's an important critical piece, especially on the seller side of things, you know, avoid chargebacks, reversal fees, customer disputes. Anyway, they have this whole suite of stuff kind of packaged up real nicely. Send your clients over to paypal.com slash business slash solutions. And we'll be telling you more about that. But I also want you to um, uh, mention a couple of our wonderful pod friends we have going now. Yes. So I was excited when you introduced that. There's a lot of great folks in the ecosystem and pod friends gives them a way of helping to uh, help to support the community and also for folks in the community to learn more. And we've got two this week. First up, we have MindSize. They're a fantastic WooCommerce focused agency that um, they've had scale with you know, all sorts of big stores. They've done stores at scale to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of orders. Uh, they, they're they doing this thing called a site performance audit now where they'll do like uh, ongoing evaluations of e-commerce stores and um, they're, yeah, they do a lot of great work. So check them out at mindsize.com and thank you to Patrick and the team there for being a pod friend. We also have Foo Sales. Uh, they help they help turn your WooCommerce store into an omni-channel retail platform. And um, for you, for those of you working with clients who care about that, Foo Sales is a great uh, option to to have in the in, in the back corner. They have, if I'm recalling correctly, Bob, there's like a have like a point of sales app, right? Right, they do. Yep, yep. And it's yep. um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's a we have a past podcast how that went during this COVID thing because you think point of sales, boy, that could really crash because you know your point of sales becomes virtual. And um, he had a real interesting story on that. So if somebody wants to dig through and find that, but but let's get on to our guest. And actually, I think it's kind of cool. Speaking of pod friends, our guest is a pod friend. So you know. In turn, so I'm going to let you introduce our guests and get into the conversation here. Awesome. Well, I am happy to introduce uh, Aiden. Aiden Corbett is it Corbett. Corbett is correct. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay. 
Aiden Corbett, welcome. You're the CEO of Wayflyer, and you're joining us from London, is that right? Dublin, so in Ireland. Ireland, that's right. Excellent. Well, it's great to great to have you on the show with us. Great to be here. And we'll kick off with our opening question. Aiden, how, how do you do the woo? What's your connection to the WooCommerce ecosystem today? We do the woo by providing funding to WooCommerce stores. So for companies that are need money for inventory orders or for marketing, uh, Wayflyer is a merchant finance solution that will give you money very quick uh, without taking an ownership stake in your business uh, to help you run that marketing campaign or make that inventory order that will help you grow that bit quicker. So we started about 12 months ago um, and started off with a number of different platforms. And WooCommerce is one of the big partners for Wayflare. And we, I think we're the only merchant finance solution currently on the, the WooCommerce extension store. It's an interesting time to start uh, um, a business at all, like with uh, in the midst mm-hmm. of a pandemic, but particularly one in financing. And I'm, I'm really curious from your perspective, because on the one hand, uh, there's this degree, at least for me as like a, an outsider kind of looking in, it's like, ah, uh, if I was in the finance business right now, I'm not really sure I'd want to be touching like, you know, a lot of store, like they need, there were stores that needed it, but there's a struggle, but there's also a lot of opportunities. So I, I'm just curious. I, I don't, I imagine that you had plans to get into this before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> what was that experience like saying, okay, we're going to get into merchant financing and then the pandemic hits. Like, how did you think about that? It was it was pretty hairy. So we were raising money from VCs back in March, and I actually flew home uh, on a plane with 15 people. And the week previously, I'd flown out to the US on a plane with 200 people. So wow. while I was in the US, that's when everything kind of kicked off in that week in March. I think it was St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> funnily enough, where everything kind of tended to, to shut down. So we had a lot of VCs lined up to invest in us, and a lot of them delayed as a result of uh, COVID kicking in. But we decided to begin financing businesses anyway in April, because what we saw was companies that had and stores that were not directly affected by the pandemic, like companies that sell, you know, bags or you know, hospitality-related products. That was probably the best time ever to start an e-commerce store, because what happened was all of the major brands left Facebook and they left Google ads. And at the same time, we were all at home scrolling through our phones, which meant that Facebook had a lot of ads to sell. And so the cost of acquiring a customer for most of the businesses on our platform halved during April, because you just had this huge inventory of ads that the social platforms had to sell. So if you weren't selling you know, something directly related to hospitality or that was going to be affected by COVID, that was probably the best time ever to launch an e-commerce store. So we actually did, once we saw that trend, we we expanded pretty heavily in April, May, June. And that also made it easier for us to do our, our seed round then later that summer. But it was it was an interesting time, but turns out for, for a lot of e-commerce stores, it, it was probably the best time. And and I love that perspective because oftentimes when something crazy is going down, it's it's it can be there's a natural human tendency to let fear kind of take over and like, oh, we're not gonna do anything right now. But the reality is that like yes, there's a, there's a lot of been a difficulty, especially in the hospitality industry. Like, oh, yeah, uh, a lot of pain there. Um, but the reality is, like like you said, people are at home. Their their patterns have changed. We've seen that now in the years since that 
that yes, there was a lot of growth and those patterns are sticking. Like people are becoming more used than ever to buying online. Uh, I'm curious, any other like anecdotes or highlights of like starting the business in in a middle of a pandemic, a pandemic in terms of things that you didn't expect? Uh, Well, the, the, the one other kind of element, and again, I think we were really lucky because we were one of the companies that were beneficiaries of COVID Yes, uh, because we're funding e-commerce companies. So one of the hard parts for us was really tracking seasonality. Ah. So because the way that we, we basically evaluate companies for funding, we look at historic performance. And for example, we would look if we're going to give you money in September, we'd look at how you did the previous September and, and try and predict what's going to happen over the next Q4. That was harder when COVID kicked in because it just changed everything. So it made a lot of, not just for us, but for a lot of lenders who were doing prediction models on performance. I think COVID really made it difficult for our data science team to you know, price and, and give people the correct volumes because ultimately what ended up happening was everybody ordered too little. Ah. Uh, we could see that uh, through October because you got to order so far in advance we did see that almost all our customers ordered too little. And that was really hard to see because not everyone saw the second wave of COVID kicking in, which meant that more stores stayed closed on the high street, which meant that people bought online. But we could see that inventory levels after uh, Thanksgiving were really, really low because everybody ordered too little. Oh, man, man. Uh, it's, it's always hard, right? Because you don't want to get stuck with like too much or be too like optimistic about something. But on the other hand, like if you're, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. inventory prediction is, is one of the, uh, the dark arts of uh, running an e-commerce store. And it's really, really difficult. Yeah. yeah like for toilet paper, you know, Hey, you know, like I remember those times <laughs> in the U.S., <laughs> but that's another whole story. But, um, you know, I, I know that we want to talk a little bit about getting into the e-commerce place space with products and stuff. Can you just give us in a nutshell a little bit of your, you know, what led up to Wayflyer and then what, from there, what led up to, um, you know, getting into the WooCommerce space? Sure. So Wayflyer is my third startup. Uh, all the startups that I've I've built have been in the data analytics space. So I have no background in lending or borrowing mm. or even in e-commerce, but I was a, a bootstrap founder uh, of a first business called Cubicle. And Cubicle does data analytics training, mostly for large corporates. So I spent the first 18 months of Cubicle in my bedroom, coding up the website, recording myself, giving lessons in Excel, Tableau, these types of Mm. tools. And ultimately I ended up selling Cubicle um, to a private equity company uh, in February of 2020, just before we realized COVID was going to be an issue. So I got lucky there as well. Uh, The second business that I I started was backed by investors. It's called Conjura and it's a marketing analytics company that mostly focuses on larger uh, consumer businesses, including some very large online retailers and actually, the technology behind Wayflyer is the same technology that I use for Conjura. So my co-founder in Wayflyer came to me in 2019 and said, you need to stop using that technology uh, to provide some marketing analytics solutions. Instead, you should use it to underwrite small e-commerce businesses and advance them funds. And it turned out that that was a very good idea. So I negotiated a kind of a split with my co-founders in Conjura. 
And we set up Wayflyer in September of 2019 and launched it in April 2020. Nice. So for you, like I so said, this it's an interesting like I'm I'm hearing a like more of a data science and like technical background. Very much. You wouldn't have I'm guessing you know ten years ago you wouldn't have predicted that you'd end up kind of doing this no way. Like, on the the e-commerce side of things. What were you doing before all that? Like, did you <laughs> the first kind of ten years of my career? I did all the things you're not supposed to do before becoming a, an entrepreneur. So I started off by working in government. Okay. Then I went to work in management consulting. Then I did an MBA. So in, in terms of Silicon Valley, I'm kind of three strikes <laughs> before becoming a founder. So it took me until I was about. 29:30 to decide that I wanted to be an entrepreneur but kind of never looked back since. So it's it's interesting. There's a there's one of my favorite books is a book uh, called Range, uh, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. Yeah, I know it. And and there's a lot uh you know we we hear a lot uh, about oh you need to like specialize and pick a focus but I I'm not convinced. I, I mean yes, there's value to that but there's also something and we see this a lot with with like folks in the WooCommerce ecosystem with builders like you can end up working with a lot of different types of clients and in that experience and this that was my own background as a developer i found that like man like every time like working across different industries you find patterns that are the same you find similarities but i've just find it so enriching to have a, a, a wide background so you don't have a a traditional silicon valley kind of startup basis but from my perspective i feel like that gives you more of an advantage than not it's it's good to be I think in the early stage of a company. So we're we're at about eighty people now. This is the the biggest uh, any of my companies have ever gotten to, and we'll probably have two hundred by the end of the year. As you get bigger, you need more specialists. But in the early days, you need pen knives, and I am I'm the ultimate pen knife. So I am I am not a kind of a, a carving knife that just cuts one type of meat or what have you. I, I I'll do a little bit of everything. Uh, and that's really valuable in the early days. And I think it's really valuable in being a founder uh, because you're not afraid of any specific function within the company. So you'll dip in on sales and then you'll go home and then you'll do some programming at night. And that's really what you need in the early days. But right now, as we're beginning to scale, you realize I need a back-end engineer that's just going to sit in Amazon Web Services all day. I need a front-end engineer who's just going to use React and so as a company gets bigger, specialists are needed. But in the early days, uh, being able to be multidisciplinary is is everything really. And and I and as it grows, at least in my experience, part of the magic becomes getting them to work together. Like having your specialists working with those who are more these these generalists and can often serve as the glue between specialists. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm curious, drawing from that, like we have a fair amount of like agency owners and like small product companies, and and a lot of those are you know start are starting the small product companies, but they're going to be bigger in the Wii ecosystem. Mm-hmm. From your experience, like as a co-founder, having this fairly like eclectic background, it, do you have any guidance that you'd offer to these you know these up and coming folks within the WooCommerce ecosystem that are in that role right now of like doing a lot of different things? Yeah, so I, there's, there's a couple of different um, kind of piece of advice that I would give. And, and it's, it's more from the things that I got wrong than the things that I got right. Uh, so it, it's not kind of, you know, this has gone great for me. Here's what I'm recommending. It's more what I didn't do right. <laughs> and the one thing that I would say, and I'm a bit, probably a bit controversial on this, is that if I'm starting a business and you have an opportunity to raise money, always take the money. Hmm. So there is obviously in a, an agency world and also when you're building products, 
there is an opportunity to, um, you know, to bootstrap. And, and in certain circumstances, that's the right thing to do. Um, and we, a lot of our founders that we back are bootstrapped, but a lot of them also, especially in the early days, um, do take some outside investment. And I would nearly always recommend taking the outside investment. Tell me, that is controversial. Tell me a bit about, like, what's some of the thinking behind that? So the thinking behind that is that the terms that you get on outside money today are so much milder than the terms you got 10, 15 years ago. So uh, the way in which you can raise money today um, from different types of angels, it's a much more benign environment than it was 10 to 15 years ago when a lot of these types of fights began to happen. So the first thing to bear in mind is the terms that you can get today are much better. So there's a, a huge angel community out there now where they're more than happy to give 50 to 250K in a check with relatively few strings attached. Just go build a business and hope that it works. So the first thing is investors will have a lot less power over you than they would have historically. And the second reason is that if you don't raise the money, you're probably going to have to give up a pretty big chunk of equity to your early employees um, because you can't give them their market salary. Ah, interesting. So it actually turns out that you will think, I don't want to give up ownership by raising money. If you end up having to require really talented people as part of your early team, you end up giving up ownership anyway. And in actual fact, you end up giving up more ownership because if you're not going to pay somebody anywhere near their market salary, they're going to ask for way more ownership than you will end up giving up when you're raising money. So it turns out that in most cases, but not all, you do end up getting diluted anyway. So provided that the money that you can get comes with very few strings attached, which is possible today, particularly in the early stage angel rounds, I think it's worth taking. Do you see that as more a function of just like the, there's just a lot more capital available today or has there been a shift in mentality? I think a lot of it has actually been uh, the shift in power away from investors towards founders, particularly in the U.S. So in the U.S., most of our investors in Wafler are U.S. investors because it's just a much more transparent and the founder has a lot more power. And the reason is actually I think a lot of it is Y Combinator and the work that Paul Graham did there in really making the process really transparent. Ah, so. Yep. Um, and also, the, there's a venture capital association in the US, and they have standard documents in relation to investments. And now everybody just uses the standard documents. So if you've got a really unusual term in your um, in your shareholders agreement or in your term sheet that you give to a founder, they can just compare it against the venture capital standard documents and say, that's a really weird term. That's clearly not standard. Why is that in there? And so uh, this, the uniformity today and what the documents look like mean that it's just it's just a way better environment for founders. I like that you brought that up because it's one of those things where like I know I know founders and folks who are like there's almost this like badge of honor like oh I never took any money. Yeah. There there's this little bit of a, a vibe to it. And that that's fine. People can have that. But I think and we we've seen this a lot. Like I see this with folks coming into WordPress and WooCommerce now where it's very easy to have like preconceived notions formed from early opinions that you that you haven't really reassessed. Like someone could have formed their opinion about taking investment based on what they learned 10 years ago. I'm, my my first startup, I worked with an angel investor was more than 10 years ago at this point. 
And I had a good experience, but I've also heard of lots of folks who had negative experiences. So that's A, that's helpful to hear. And B, it's a reminder for all of us to continually reassess the preconceived notions that we have because things do change. Absolutely. Uh, The other thing to bear in mind too is, and this is the reason by Wayflower, you don't need to raise money to cover working capital. Uh, You you need to raise money for product development. So, uh, and that's where, where Wayflower kicks in. So if your business is doing really well, and you, you're saying, I know I can sell $200,000 worth of inventory in Q4. You shouldn't need to raise money to go and buy that inventory. You should go out and get financing for that. But it's in those early stages when you're, you know, you might want to bring on a single or one or two employees, or you want to do some product development and you might need, you know, 80 to 100K to develop a, a more advanced product. That's when you should do the raise. It shouldn't be for working capital. It should be for product development. Mm, I like that distinction. Hey, Bob WP here, and I'd like to thank our sponsor, PayPal, with their new commerce platform that streamlines your client's business with an all-in-one solution. Now, when you add this to your client's shop, their customers can pay with their PayPal account. They can choose pay later options, use credit and debit cards, and country-specific local payment methods. In addition, their subscription plans allow your clients to offer their customers plans with fixed or quantity pricing, the ability to set billing cycles for the time period they want, and yes, offer subscriptions with discounted trial periods. Now, as a builder, you want to bring confidence to your clients, and that is important when it comes to the payment gateway. So your clients can be rest assured with fraud protection, seller protection, global compliance standards, and the trusted brand of PayPal that sells in over 200 markets and accepts over 100 currencies. Now you'll want to check this out, so go ahead and head on over to paypal.com forward slash business, learn about their commerce platform, and see how it can benefit your clients and make you look good. So thanks to PayPal for being a community sponsor at Do The Woo. And now back to the conversation. So one of the things I'm curious about, um, you're, there's this interesting tension, as I understand it, in, in your uh, business where you there is a risk that you're taking, but one of your goals is to kind of minimize that risk, right? And providing capital to to strong bets. Like, you know, you're looking at the historics, you look at the business. So like one of the things I think would be really interesting is I loved what is what are some of the characteristics that you see in like what makes a business a low risk business? Yep. It's a really good question. So there's a couple of characteristics that I will use to describe kind of the ideal e-commerce business or the business that the characteristics that make it easier to run. So obviously if you have an amazing insight into a very difficult vertical, that would still be really worth doing. But there are certain verticals that are easier to work in than others. And those verticals have certain characteristics. So the first thing is they're not seasonal. Mm. Uh, So if you're seasonal, let's say for example, 90% 90% of your sales comes in in Q4, you're going to have to make a Whopper inventory order 
And there's probably going to be a long lead time on that inventory order in August and September. So that skill that we talked about earlier of being able to do inventory prediction is much harder than if you're making an inventory order every three or four weeks because you have a season, you have a, se- a business that's not really very seasonal. So the first thing is seasonality is huge. Uh, the second element is average order value. So if your average order value is too low, uh, it can be very difficult to be profitable on the initial sale. Um, and so if your average order value is very low, you need to get a lot of repeat purchases. If your average order value is very high, it's very hard to experiment with new advertising campaigns mm. and to really figure out what's working because you might run a really successful campaign. And if your average order value is $500, that might be six transactions. That's hard to figure out. Is that actually working? Because six transactions is not a lot of data points. Yep. So if you have a very high average order value, it's harder to experiment with campaigns. If you have a very low average order value, let's say under $25, it's hard to be profitable on the first purchase and you need a lot of repeat purchases. So that's how average order value is critical. Then the next thing to bear in mind is the nature of the product itself. So if it's light, it's much easier to transport. And you also have options potentially using air freight um, in certain times of the year rather than just relying on on, on kind of shipping or uh, kind of, uh, yeah, shipping essentially. And then uh, you also have just much better economics and fulfillment and moving things around. And the last element then is channel. So do you have an advantage in the way in which you acquire customers that is not obvious? Uh, So they would be the critical things uh, that I would look at. So if you add all of those up, you, you would look at something that works really well, would be something like health and beauty or something, for example, around baby products. So baby products are ideal because they're not seasonal. Uh, the, the average order value is quite high. You can expand the range, which means you can get a lot of repeat purchases. They're relatively light products. And uh, you typically also have um, a really good margin of them. So there are certain verticals that we really like. That isn't to say that we don't fund lots of verticals, but certain types of products and certain kind of types of characteristic of your target customer um, can make life a lot easier or harder. It's interesting because on the one hand, like I can see those patterns. It makes sense, right? Like you don't want too high or too low on the, on the average order value. You don't want the seasonality. Uh, and so, and the, so there'll be d- businesses that kind of clearly fit in that. Um, part of the, the magic is probably in the exceptions from time to time. Uh, because like there'll be a business that's hard because of the shipping aspect of things, right? Like the, it's a very hard to, to, to deal with the logistics side of it, but because you have deep niche, like now insights and some connections, then that can sort of offset that. But uh, I think it, it's, it's, it's helpful to think about these things because seasonality, for instance, is something that comes up a lot in the service industry mm-hmm. where, you know, you'll know that firsthand if you're working with a client that's seasonal, there's going to be times of the year where they're going to have a lot to do and then not. And uh, versus if you're looking for these long-term clients, then you can't expect a long-term relationship or an all-year relationship to be a high likelihood from a seasonal client versus those who have stuff you know, all year round. So I think those characteristics can also be helpful for folks in the service industry to, to be thinking about. Totally. And the, the, thing, the thing to bear in mind is if like, so a difficult... Uh, vertical based on my criteria are toys. Ah, okay. Interesting. Very seasonal, can be quite heavy. 
uh, have a pretty high average order value. You don't necessarily get a lot of repeat purchases depending on the toy. That's not to say that you you shouldn't sell toys if that's where your capability lies. But some markets are harder than others. And one of the things you should always do is to say, yes, I have an advantage in this market, or this is where my passion is, or this is where I think I can create a great product. But you need to know, is it a good market or not? Because uh, when a great entrepreneur meets a bad market, they say the market's reputation stays intact. Not the market. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I think I'm paraphrasing Buffett there, but I, I definitely believe that. So you really want to check your market especially if you've got some of those characteristics that might make life a bit more difficult. So keeping on the same track, if you're an agency, small or big, and you're working with clients and you want to make suggestions or recommendations, because this may be a big question in their mind is funding, you know, whether it's immediate or down the road, it seems like the agency or the people in the, you know, whoever's working with the clients can keep these things in mind when they're looking at what the client is doing. Now, can somebody in that spot that more on a uh, recommendation side of things, is there anything else that they should be looking at with their clients to, to feel good about, or to, you know, make a solid recommendation and say, Hey, this may be a opportunity for you now or maybe at some point so what was that in relation to what should a, an agency bear in mind when they're evaluating clients is yeah when they're looking at them is there anything beyond because i think what you said is pretty much falls in place they can see this stuff and know but i was wondering if there's anything in particular that they can do to help that decision process absolutely so the first thing that i would do is is look at the vertical and then there are a couple of different data sources that you don't have to pay for where you can actually, uh, you can get a handle or they're, they're reasonably cheap, actually. They're, we use those data sources too. That will actually give you a handle on how well the company is doing. Um, it won't be, it won't tell you revenue or anything like that, but it'll tell you some information that hints at growth and traction. So there's a great website called charm.io. And if you type a URL into charm, uh, it'll tell you uh, the growth score of the company over the last 12 months. It'll tell you what channels they're using. It'll tell you how many Instagram followers that company has, what's the growth in Instagram followers, whether it's using Facebook ads effectively, how many, when was the last Facebook ad created. So you can get a sense of what the growth of the company is without actually having to get access to the financials. And it'll also give you a hint as to what's the technology stack of that company, how sophisticated they are in marketing, you know, are they using Klaviyo, are they using MailChimp? A lot of those questions that will help you understand how sophisticated is this company and does it have real traction? And you can check that before you even take a meeting. We check that before we take a meeting. Um, so if I meet with a, an e-commerce business on the odd day that I might do a sale and I haven't, they haven't connected up their data sources to our platform yet, I'll know all that information about them before I meet them. And that's just kind of classic vetting. And it's much easier to vet an e-commerce company than it is a, another type of business because all the information about the e-commerce company is all online. It's interesting to me, drawing back from my client service experience, sometimes it's like you'll see a client with 
like a bunch of things that are not in place. And then, and then rightly so you can look at that from the opportunity perspective, like, okay, I can help them get all these things in place. That's true, but it's also risky because in my experience, like some of the best clients were those who had most of their ducks in a row already totally. and they knew what they wanted and they, and they were looking to an agency to be their like implemented their trusted advisor. Uh, and they, yeah. So I think, Sometimes it's like, oh, they, they don't have anything in place. Great, I can help. That's true. Have a couple of those, but those you don't usually want those to be uh, your your. Uh, you want to have. You also want to have clients who do know what they're doing, and this vetting process can help you figure that out. Big time, and it's cheap and it's quick, which is the most important thing for agencies. It's not a lot of work. I I like that a lot. Now I wanted to kind of touch a little bit more on the the woo ecosystem, mm-hmm. the community, the space, and that that might be a good way to you know close it out. And this might be a little bit of a conversation. You're you're new to the woo space. I mean you you've just quite new, yeah, yeah, quite new. And I know both Jonathan and I know the you know the pros, the cons, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the quirks, uh, the the lovely parts, and you know, it's like any community and it sounds like maybe you haven't, you know, been in open source a lot either, which is another, throws in another variable. What has been your experiences around entering this as a business and even, you know, getting to know the people in it? I know the challenges can be there, but I'd like some, you know, some insights on how that's been so far and, you know, even what your kind of what your expectations or what you're hoping to really get out of this community. Sure. So the, the nice thing about this, so we've, we've connected with a number of different communities um, in the e-commerce space. So Shopify, um, Magento, Woo, and then also companies who have decided just to build their website from scratch. So they might be using Ruby on rails or, or some other, uh, platform and they might use a payment platform like Stripe, and the WooCommerce community is is much closer to that last item that I mentioned. So uh, I think, uh, and this is very much a, a kind of a, a recent view. It tends to be, um, it, it's even you know, it's got more kind of a builder mentality to it. Mm-hmm. And it's what we like the most about the Woo, the Woo um, system is it's not about taking a cookie cutter template and just going with it. Uh, they tend to be quite dogmatic and quite um, uh, you know ab- about wanting control over uh, what they build and also over their data. Hmm. Um, this is a huge issue in Europe uh, where we actually see WooCommerce has really strong market share. And we like that they take that opinionated approach. Um, it can create some friction and some difficulties when you're in an open source environment, when you don't have that kind of walled garden around you. Uh, but what we like about it is uh, people have made that very deliberate choice to kind of create more control over what they hold and also for that additional flexibility to really create a special experience for a customer. And that's where we really like dealing with them. And while a lot of the companies that we deal with um, tend to be bigger and more successful um, in the Woo community than in other communities because they do have that mindset and they're willing to make that trade-off. A lot of the other communities, particularly when you have what I would call kind of a, a, a kind of a cookie cutter approach, 
to spinning up a website really quickly, uh, it's not as it's not normally as deliberate a decision. Um, and that's a, it's just a very different mindset uh, as an entrepreneur. And the woo mindset is probably a bit closer to mine. That's interesting. That point about deliberation uh, or, or like the proactive choice. I remember talking to to someone who like, but they're in a business that bought and sold businesses for a living. Like that's, that's what they did. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the business they were in. And it was interesting to me to learn that WordPress based businesses in general uh, bought and sold for more than businesses built on other platforms. I, I'm curious like, do you see a similar type of thing, like based on what you're saying there about the deliberateness? Like, in other words, if someone's chosen WooCommerce and they have a successful business, it was probably a deliberate choice more often than not. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, to, to a lesser extent with Magento, especially when you need to start spending a lot of money on Magento as it gets bigger. But um, if you, to be blunt about it, if you don't pick Shopify, you normally have thought about it a lot uh, because it is kind of a, an easy, let's get up and running really quickly option. Um, you have to be more deliberate about the trade-offs and understand the trade-offs more if you don't go down that route. And, and that tends to lead to um, what I would call you know, entrepreneurs that are quite considered in their decision-making, which which I love to back. And and for you, from the finance perspective... I- so that that that's how, that's the point that I'm drawing from that is like if they've chosen that and there's different reasons that you might do that both positive and negative, but uh, what I'm hearing from you is that that's a positive indicator of the deliberateness in general is a positive indicator that they've thought through it and that would tend to suggest other things being thought through and obviously you're going to look at that and that's where the data comes in to can the data back it up. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, that is interesting because it, it makes me think of it. And this is kind of bizarre. And of course, everybody's used to me and my bizarre thinking is that it's like when you come, you know, you've been out partying at night and you get on Twitter and you say something you want to, you know, oh, why did I say that when you woke up? It's almost like, oh, I've been partying all night talking to my friends about starting this store. I went home and got a, you know, I put it up real quick on this platform because it was real easy. And next morning you wake up and you got an order and you think, well, what is this? You know? Oh my God, I started a store last night. It was, you know, that quick. And, and that's an exaggeration, but it is that thinking it through a bit more where it's not as easy as, oh, I'm in a spot and I need to do something and I can get on here and start something right away without a lot of thought process behind it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, um, when I, you know, from my time in this ecosystem and talking to folks, there tends to be three reasons why folks will have chosen WooCommerce, and uh, and it's interesting too because we'll also see folks like that, like who will start on other platforms and then end up on Woo, mm-hmm. and it tends to either be because of the ownership aspect, which often touches data and like the you know anything related, like we want to own it, we don't want to rent it, or the and or the flexibility aspect of like we really want to create an experience that meets our customers needs like we want control over that uh or the just the broader ecosystem like one of the things i remember this was when wordpress started to pick up in the enterprise one of the selling points for these big companies was like we want to be one of many like it's it's a de-risking factor when there's a larger ecosystem of folks using it so uh and i i think yeah woo is one of those unintentionally well-kept secrets i find uh, in the in the e-commerce world, because you don't have the big marketing spend and uh, doesn't have the same 
uh, sort of overall recognition. But once you get into it, when you're starting to look around, and that's what I'm hearing from you in terms of that deliberateness. When you do your research, like, ah, turns out that owning this uh, and, you know, and spending some more time to figure it out right, working with some builders who can really help me do this um, is, is often a good move from a business perspective. Yeah. And to be honest, particularly in Europe, where you need that additional flexibility because almost everybody in Europe is selling into multiple markets. So in the US, it's a lot easier because you're normally selling into one big market, whereas in Europe, almost everybody is selling into multiple markets and having that flexibility around being able to customize and edit for different languages and different um, different personalities in different countries uh, we see Ruby being very popular in that environment. Yeah. Well, I think somebody's going to, we're going to see some um, agency after this change our tagline to, you know, we'll do WooCommerce for you because you need to be deliberate, you know, something like that. So, hey, you know, we might have just created it for somebody. So, <laughs> well, this has been fascinating. I, I think this is, this gives us a lot of different, yeah, from um, investing to, you know, bootstrapping, you know, to uh, the different things have gone over. Some really, really good perspective. I think a lot of people don't always think through or even realize. So I I, I really appreciate, you know, having you on. And uh, Bob, I'm going to have to leave early to start my baby uh, baby business. I'm going to find something in the end of baby. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yes. yeah, you got to yeah. just be deliberate about it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Baby deodorant has got the combination. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or baby baby toys. Like the toys one has the seasonality, but if it's baby toys, maybe there's some. There's no seasonality. Yeah, absolutely. Pets, babies, health and beauty. Yeah, everyone's buying all year round. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Yep, babies and pets, kind of one of the same thing, let me tell you sometimes. So, well, um, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, Wayflower.com is always a great place if you want to sign up and learn more about what we do. And on Twitter, I have a pretty small following. Hopefully, it's growing gradually. And I'm at Aiden underscore Corbett on Twitter as well. Excellent. Well, just like to thank our sponsors one last time. Of course, our community sponsor again, thank them for their last six months of support. It's been amazing. Uh, check them out. They have your clients covered with fraud and seller protection and a lot more with their streamlined commerce platform over at paypal.com slash business slash solutions. And then of course, our two pod friends, if you need a point of sales for your WooCommerce shop, whether products or services, check out foosale.com for a seamless integration and make sure and check out mindside.com. Well, it could be for yourself or for your clients for those performance audits that will closely monitor your shop and keep your store supplied with needed improvements. All great sponsors, great guests. Again, thank you very much, Aiden, for um, yeah coming on the show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jonathan. Great talking to you. And everyone, do go over to dothewoo.io forward slash subscribe. You can subscribe any way you want and keep on top of everything. And until the next time, do the woo.